I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. Okay. I don't... I, I, <laughs> I made it a question. I don't know why. I made it a question, kind of. I was trying to trying to make uh, trying to make sense of that, but that's don't, that's, don't try to make sense of this. <laughs> don't try to make that's, sense of anything that's, that's happening here. Here on the podcast, no, no question. We have. We are just going to go right into it because we have so much ground to cover. I'm looking. I never make a list of things to do uh, on the podcast because that would be like way too professional. Mm-hmm. But but I did for this one because I was like, oh, you know, we've got a few things we got to cover. And then I made this list. It's not good. We, we've got so many things that that are essential for us to talk about. That's not. Nothing's essential. But so many things we have to talk about. So great. Just. Say so we just dive right in. Dive there, there, I know nothing about this list, so I'm. I know. All of these will be surprising to me in a, in a <laughs> fun way. That's what's so great. Everything on this list, you'd be like, "What?" Um, so first of all, we need to begin by by making uh, a point. Uh, we and this is such classic podcast fashion. About three months ago, uh, regular listeners of the podcast, and by the way, you have to work hard to be one of those regular listeners. Well, remember that we uh, teased an event that we were going to be doing. Do you remember this? Do you remember when we actually told people that we were going to do this? Yes. And we, we, with zero um, (laughs) foresight and zero sort of planning, we just announced that something was going to happen someday. And then we just never talked about it again. Yeah. And, and the reason that we never talked about it again is because, well, the two reasons, one is because we're terrible at this, but, but the second reason is I don't think either of us ever actually expected it to happen. I don't think we, oh, I, think see, we I, don't, I don't think that's true. I always, okay. expected that. yeah, it was, it's been locked in for a while, at least in some form. Okay. I, I don't think that the reason that we didn't talk about it is because we didn't expect it to happen. I think the reason we didn't talk about it is because we either forgot or because we're just bad at promotion or because the idea that we would actually follow through on something or like know how to strategically build excitement for something is completely absurd. And it just sort of fell by the wayside. But I always expected it to happen. I I always hoped it would happen. I'm never, you know, I'm never too optimistic, but we are doing this event. So we are doing it this week. Uh, We are going to be in Chicago uh, Saturday and Sunday at the Cubs games. Um, we are going to do a podcast, uh, and maybe, maybe multiple versions of a podcast. You and tell, you can tell from the way you're talking about this, that we, we kind of still don't know. We what still don't know what we're doing. Oh no, we have no idea. We have no idea. <laughs> that's, that's the best part. We don't even know. The great thing is we're going to tell you we're doing this. We don't know what to, what you can do about it. I mean, it's not like we know Like we're, we're not doing like a live event or anything, but we want you to know that we are going to be at Wrigley Field this weekend to catch the the Cubs Pirates games on right. Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we are going to do um, some version of this podcast, and we have an unbelievable guest. Can we actually tell people who our guest is? You know? I think we can tell people who our guest is. Yeah, Nick Offerman will be joining us. We will be okay. joined by Nick Offerman at Wrigley Field this weekend, uh, September. What is it? Thirteenth and fourteenth? Is that right? <laughs> Again, we, it, there's no way to tell. <laughs> 14th and 15th. Okay, September 14th and 15th. Nick uh, 
Nick has a show in Chicago the night of the 15th, uh, Sunday evening, uh, which will be amazing. So I, I, we can promote that because you can actually go and buy tickets and go to that. Assuming That's right. It's Nick is on tour. With a, he does one-man uh, shows, and he's on tour right now. He's in Chicago next weekend. We will be in Chicago. The idea is to do two podcasts. Yes. One of them theoretically from the actual field. We might be right. able to do one from the field, which sounds great. And also a, a technological nightmare. And then one from some <laughs> other location near Wrigley Field. Um, and we're going to go to both games. We'll talk Cubs with Nick Offerman. Uh, and uh, and we'll just... Right now, as we speak, by the way, the Cubs are in the second wild card. They're a game and a half up on yeah, they're Arizona. In they're in trouble. And these are big games. These, these are actually weird. weirdly big games. When we, yes. when we, I think when we first started talking about this was months and months ago, we assumed that the Cubs would be kind of cruising to a division title, right? Um, they're nowhere close. They're now four and a half back of St. Louis. They're not going to win this division, which is crazy no. given no. the talent on the roster. They also just lost Javi Baez, which is sad, but the games themselves will be exciting. And so we will, we'll talk Cubs with Nick. We'll, we'll talk baseball. We'll uh, do the same stuff. We always do. We'll draft something stupid and meaningless. <laughs> uh, and it's going to be really fun. It's a, it struck me uh, on the way into my office this morning, that we've been doing this uh, for what is it? It's thirty-one years. Thirty-one more, years. This more year, than thirty-one. Seventeen thousand shows, <laughs> podcasts, and we've never done anything different. <laughs> this is no. the very first time that we've ever even attempted to do something other than the very dumb and straightforward thing that we always do. So this is exciting we, for us. It is exciting. We've never even done one live where we were in the same place. We've no. been in the same place numerous times and not done podcasts, but. Correct. We have not done a podcast a single live one, so this will well, be our first and second. We're, we're going to do. That's we're gonna right. Try to do three, right. It t- it did take us until like last year to ever have a guest on, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are so bad, so 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 bad at this, and yet we're still doing it. I we're it's still it's doing crazy. It. <laughs> yeah, the, but, but I am excited. The 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 Cubs thing is going to be exciting. I. I I don't know. Are people going to find us? Can they come and say hello? I don't even know how. I mean, I. It's like we're telling you this. It's sort of like we're teasing this, but there's nothing really for you to do. Yeah, right? maybe. I mean, maybe what we'll do because again, we don't. We kind of don't have like a real plan here. But maybe what we should do <laughs> is try to figure out when we're in Chicago. We'll try to figure out if there's a place where we could tweet out like, "Hey, we're going to be at this place at yes. this time. If you want to come say hi and uh, and talk about nothing." That would be awesome. Yeah. That's, that's what we'll do. We'll do some tweeting. We'll we'll tweet out some information uh, if we can. But uh, but just know that we, have, we do have a couple of podcasts coming uh, live from Wrigley Field. It's going to be very very exciting. And it is exciting, by the way, um, that these games matter. I, I mean, that is. I mean, they were always going to be fun, and it was always going to be wonderful to go to Wrigley Field. But uh, they're on the ropes. Cubs yeah. are very much on the ropes. And, yeah, they really uh, are. You know, the Pirates are out of it, and and they're going to have to. They they got to win that series. They got to they got to take you know they at least two out of three, but they probably need to sweep that series to to start feeling a little bit comfortable about what's going on. So very very exciting. The other thing I wanted to bring up before we actually even get started um, is I, I meant to bring this up last podcast and I did not because uh, because I forgot. Uh, but you actually had a rather bizarre experience. Um, 
I believe it was at Comic Con. Am I right? Is that where where you had the big uh, where the, the big... person asked the question? Yes. yes, yes, I did indeed. So I was at Comic Con <laughs> for the final season of The Good Place. We were doing a g- giant panel um, with uh, the entire cast, everybody, and executive the whole producers, cast. the whole cast, and it was a big sort of like farewell celebration. This is our final season, and um, part of that part of those panels are, and it's in a room of I don't know. I'm guessing it's like fifteen hundred or two thousand people or something. And part of it is um, Q&A. And so people right. get up and they say, you know, I mean, and, and people at Comic-Con is Comic-Con's the best. People are, go all out. They're in costume. They're awesome. They cosplay as the characters from the show and they, they're super hardcore fans. And as Kristen Bell has said on more than one occasion, there's nothing cuter than, than extreme fandom. Like extreme <laughs> fandom is just the coolest, cutest, most adorable, wonderful thing because it's just passion. It's just people passionate about Wonderful. Um, anything, whatever it is, a movie, a TV show, a, a, a comic book, a graphic novel, whatever. And so it's really fun. It's really, really fun. And um, so people are getting up and they're asking questions to Darcy Cardin and Ted Danson and and whoever. And then someone got up and asked the most. <laughs> I It was it, literally I, I still it's all a blur. But someone asked an incredibly specific and detailed sabermetric question that was related to the podcast and it was hilarious because it was like <laughs> that guy and i knew what was happening and not a single other person in the entire room had any idea what was happening and i it was it made me laugh so hard because it was like trying to even explain what was going on was impossible and so all i could think of to do was to say this is a really deep cut from a weird corner of my life that has to do with baseball and this obscure podcast that i do with my friend and everyone should just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> you were flustered. I, I mean, you were you legitimately were, flustered. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and it was and it was cool because you were legitimately flustered, not by the question itself, which I remember. The question was who, which character on the Good Place would be most likely to scooter, um, or that's right, or, that's right, or um, or uh, or have a uh, fam, or have a fam, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. The, the best part, you were not flustered by the question and you were not like, you didn't like turn red or like that kind of thing. You were like, how can I possibly explain this so this would make sense to anybody in this room? And about 13 like milliseconds later, you're like, there's no way. There's no yeah. possible way. Yeah, I did a very <laughs> rapid fire calculation in my brain that there was literally nothing I could do except to, to sort of wave it off and go, everyone ignore this. This is... This is <laughs> This is a crazy person engaging with a with with the crazy version of me that cares about stuff like this, and it's a fun secret code that he and I have where he understands awesome. that I'll think this is funny, and I am acknowledging that it's funny, and now we can just all move on. <laughs> it was so great, especially because Ted Danson's look on his face was like, "What is happening? Here? Yeah, what yeah. in the world has just happened here?" Could not have been better. Uh, anyway, I had to bring that up, and I know our podcast uh, listeners will love that. It is on YouTube. Uh, go go check it out because it's very very funny. I don't know what minute it is, but the whole the whole uh, it's the whole, toward uh, the end. I would imagine because the Q and A usually comes. It in is toward, toward the end, end. but yeah. the whole panel's great. So listen, watch the whole panel. Get ready. September. When does it start? When is the fourth season? September twenty sixth. I'm going to say the third that Thursday night. Um, right. Our final season begins. Yeah. Last Thursday. So watch the panel. Get get fired up for, for season four. It's very there you exciting. Go. All right. Let's start talking about some of the things that we have to get to here. Then we're going to start. This is this is a late edition. Um, 
Mike, as you as uh, as our listeners know, uh, always signs in with a name that is not his. Today he signed in as Dave Dombrowski, uh, and this is because the Red Sox fired Dave Dombrowski, the That's right. the president general manager guy running the team dude. Um, 10 months after he won the World Series, after his team won the World Series. So I, I we can talk about sort of the strategic thoughts behind this because there actually are some strategic thoughts behind the firing. But I really want to discuss something else with you. And I think this is going to be painful, but but I don't see any way around it. We've, we've talked about how we don't ever, ever, ever want the Red Sox to fully turn into the Yankees. We've discussed this. We've discussed how you know, their long history of, of heartbreak and so on and so forth has sort of inures them from, from fully ever becoming the Yankees and so on. And John Henry is George Steinbrenner. (laughs) (laughs) This is the third general manager. He's fired or run off. Well, who has won a world series and like recently had won a world series. And he's also fired two managers or gotten rid of two managers who have won a world series. And I would imagine Alex Cora is very much in the, in the crosshairs now. Um, what is happening? How, how, how do you endure the possibility that, that this is, this is really happening? Okay. So here, here's why he's not, um, I would say, uh, there's, a, smarter. there's a, yeah, he's way smarter. He's way, way smarter. less no irrational. Question. He right. also, I mean, I, you could argue that the original dismissal of Theo Epstein had very little, in fact, to do with John Henry. If you go back and look at that, that was that was John Henry was not the front office guy that, that Theo was clashing with. Um, the, the there is a certain amount, I would say, of um, when you get to a certain level and your your teams. I mean, he owns the Red Sox and he owns Liverpool. Right. And they, he's now in the position of expecting to win every year. That's yes. that's the standard. It's no, you know, when Theo first took over the Red Sox, their sort of long term, big picture umbrella strategy was make the playoffs seven out of every ten years, and they thought that was achievable based on if they were careful and they stuck to their game plan and they had the right combination of veteran guys that they locked up and good draft picks and everything. He figured they could make the every every decade they could make the playoffs seven times. That seemed like their that was their intended goal, and that I don't think is now okay anymore. For yeah. If you're if you're John Henry, I think you're you know you're getting up there in years. You see it with the um, you see it with like Jerry Jones too, right? Like Jerry Jones is uh, just spent a whole lot of money on Ezekiel Elliott, and every part of like uh, what you would call a sabermetric analysis of the NFL roster construction in a hard salary cap league would say that spending $90 million on a running back is a very bad idea, even one right. who's really, really, really good. But if you're Jerry Jones and you're sick of losing and you're almost 80 years old, I don't think you care anymore. <laughs> I think that's you true. say, no, that's true. I want that guy. And he he has a memory in his head. He his he has arrested development from, from the early 90s teams. And those early 90s teams had a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame running back, and a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And so he's right. like, well, I've got Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, and I've got Amari Cooper, and so yep. I'm now going to replicate that before I die. That's at some subconscious level, or maybe conscious level, that's what's going on. I think John Henry maybe is at that same place, because the reason you hired Dave Dombrowski is to do what exactly what he did. Sure. Take all of your young, cheap assets 
cash them in for star <laughs> veteran players, win 108 games, and win a World Series. You don't hire Dave Dombrowski to make the playoffs seven out of every 10 years because right. he doesn't think that way. He doesn't act that way. He doesn't think that way. And after last year, after the World Series, everybody basking in that glow, um, they made he made a bunch of decisions. And maybe yeah. it wasn't only him, but he made a bunch of decisions, and they all backfired. <laughs> Yeah. Every single well, one right. of them. He hired, he signed Nathan Avaldi to a four year, $68 million deal. Exactly. The guys had like two Tommy John surgeries. He barely pitched this year. They're paying him 17 million bucks every year through 2022. He signed Chris Sale to a $145 million extension. Chris Sale's now, I mean, that one I actually could defend. He's an ace, he's a true ace or whatever. Uh, he, what else did he do? He signed Steve Pierce, Steve to, Pierce a, yeah. to a $6 million deal who, who didn't play Plenty. once the entire year. Um, he basically did a, he did a bunch of stuff like that, right? And he, I mean, he also did some good things. He did not sign uh, Craig Kimbrell, and Craig Kimbrell has been a pretty pretty much a disaster for the Cubs. Um, he didn't lock he could have locked Craig Kimbrell up for five more years and given him a hundred million dollars, and that would have been another disaster. He did one very good thing, which is he signed Xander Bogarts to what it will end up being an extremely team friendly deal. Yeah, which that'll is help the next guy. That'll help the next. Yeah, that'll help the next guy, but. <laughs> He just made a bunch of decisions based. He did not take a cold, calculated, I'm sorry, thank you for your service. You guys are great, but I cannot re-sign you uh, kind of approach. And as a result, there's a lot of really dead money on this roster right now. And so I don't know exactly, who knows exactly what happened. I don't know, but... Um, uh, it, it, it's interesting because I think there are a couple of things that you've said there that are 100 right, and and that that uh, that play into this. One is nobody, and I mean nobody in sports, does anything for the next guy, right? The one that's gonna that's gonna replace them when right. they're they're gonna be right. I mean that's you're doing everything, and that's you talk about about like a, a, a Jerry Jones. Um, it, yeah, I mean that's every owner is like okay, you know I. I'm running out of time and and we've got to win. So so I understand that aspect of it. And then the second aspect of this thing is I don't know how much of this was Dave Dombrowski or how much of this was being told you can't go that high, you can't go over the salary cap, right? The salary whatever the the luxury tax line, right? Because right. because it was a little surprising to a lot of people that the that the Red Sox didn't play at all in the in the big free agent game right there was that they didn't at all go after Keuchel or or I mean certainly Machado and 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 uh and uh Harper were out of range but they really really just stayed completely out of it and you know I mean I don't know if that was his decision or not but but they didn't they nobody thought going into this year they improved from last year right there was that was never the consideration the consideration was could they stay where they were, which is a, that's a, that's, that's a losing game right there to try to stay as good as you were. So he definitely made a lot of decisions, but I wonder if he was handicapped because that is not necessarily the history of Dave Dombrowski to sort of stay put. And I mean, he's, he likes to move. He likes to make moves. So I do wonder if he got trapped in a situation where he was told, all right, you know, make the team better, but you're not, you're not going over the cap. You're not, he, you're not. He might've uh, been. And, and also like, it also could just be like, we got what we wanted out of him. 
And well, that's, we, you know, we got like we he he made he made the deal. He traded Yon Moncada for Chris Sale. Chris right. Sale was standing on the mound when they clinched the World Series. That's that is a deal you probably make again, even though Chris Sale now is injured, even though he didn't pitch nearly as well this year as he did last year. He was a thing that they needed last year, which was they needed a true ace who who made David Price be the second best pitcher on your team, not the first best pitcher on your team. Right. And he dominated the league last year in a way that like they hadn't had since Pedro. And so I think you still, even though Yohan Mankata has is, you know, 23 or 24, it has an 890 OPS and whatever. They also have Rafael Devers who plays the same position yeah, and is exactly. even better. So I right. think I don't think that's a bad deal. I think that's a fine deal. I mean, they traded. They also traded Kopech, but Kopech is has had Tommy John surgery and he's been out for a year. I think a lot of the deals he made are very defensible. Sure. I think a lot of the deals he made were very good. But I also think that they're now looking at uh, a roster that needs a lot of retooling, where they're really hamstrung by um, by the, the salaries they have, and they yeah. are like, well, you know what we need? We need a younger, more we need we need the opposite of Dave Dombrowski. Dave Dombrowski is the guy you get to pull off those big deals to get those big guys, those Miguel Cabrera trades, and to to cash in and go for it now. And I think they're saying like we're behind the Astros and the Yankees, significantly behind. We're also at least this year we're behind the Twins and we're behind the Indians and we're behind the Rays and we're behind the the yeah. uh, a lot of teams. And he's not the right guy to move us through the next three years and adjust this roster. And so what's the point of keeping him around now for all we know, also there will be some story that comes out where he and John Henry got into a fist fight at illegal seafood and (laughs) that'll, that'll be the actual explanation. But I think what, to me, it's like this, this, this story is pretty obvious. Like they were like, we need to win another world series. We're getting antsy and we're getting old and we want to win another world series. And they hired the guy, the exact guy that you hire to do that for you, which right. is we have 50 right. young prospects, trade 38 of them and get <laughs> us four big guys. And he did that and it worked. So I and now now they're in a different phase. Now they're in a like, all right, let's throttle back. This year's a lost cause in all likelihood. Next year's a lost cause because, they're, again, they're just behind these other teams. The twins absolutely roared past them in terms of young great talent even though the red sox still have guys who are only arb eligible you know mookie is has another year of arbitration like he's an mvp winner was another year of arbitration devers is a year away from arbitration like they have a lot of really great young talent but they also have their top heavy with really expensive veteran players jd martinez can opt out they have a bunch of problems and i think they just looked at the roster and were like this the guy the right guy to steward this team is not Dave Dombrowski. That's my guess. Well, but I think that's right. I do think that's right, and I do think that that what one thing you can say about John Henry is he's decisive. He's not going to let this linger for two seasons just out of some sort of sense of loyalty to the guy for winning a World Series, he, which is smart. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's harsh, but it's smart. But here's what they here's what I'm wondering if they should do. Should the the Red Sox in sort of this new Moneyball way make the GM job kind of like like uh, like a Congress person? You know, you get two years and just have Dombrowski and Ben Sherrington just switch off like every two years. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, so Sherrington gets him to a certain place, then Dombrowski takes over, trades them all away. And then uh, and wins a World Series, and then Sherrington comes in, wins a World Series with what he has left over, 
and and then rebuilds the team and then Dombrowski comes back in and wins the World Series and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, I'm saying that, you know, jokingly, but I am also saying that the idea that a GM is a great GM really depends on the circumstances. I mean, it's like like the guys who have been like like sureholds for for him to keep that team you know great uh or you know near great for 15 consecutive years is incredible it's beyond belief um so i do wonder if like you know a gm is good at this a gm is good at really building the team but he doesn't he he isn't willing to pull the trigger uh and make the big moves necessary uh, to to sort of go over you know and 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 win uh, at that moment when the window is widest open uh, and then vice versa the the GM she might be uh, terrific at building uh, you know uh, building uh, a, a champion you know like like actually putting together a roster uh, that can win it all but then once that happens and the money starts uh, you know counting and you have to start paying these guys uh, has you know is sort of you know, doesn't really know how to build that kind of team that can develop prospects. I mean, the the Red Sox, uh, after having one of the great minor league systems in baseball history, honestly, they're that cupboard is bare right now. now. It's now they got nothing. Yeah, they got nothing. <laughs> you know, and that's what happens when you trade them all away. But but still, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's still plenty on the team with bats and Devers and Bogarts. There's still plenty on this team that came from that incredible, um, you know, Benintendi. Uh, is Benintendi ever going to be a star? By the way, or, I don't think given, so. I yeah. I mean, I he seems like a just really steady eight twenty five OPS, good defense outfielder, and that is a very valuable commodity. Say, like, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, like I mean, the 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 trick comes when in the inflated market for talent and maybe this will change by the time he's hitting free agency but the trick is like when that guy says i want 25 million a year what do you do right and i think the answer is you let him go but um but he i don't think he he's just like a really he's just like a really really solid baseball player he's in you know he he almost single-handedly saved defensively saved the the their playoff run last year and you know, I, I, he's a guy you like having on your team. He just is like really solid, and he'll hit Ooh, yeah. eighteen to twenty home runs a year. Although to be fair, literally everyone does. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It's 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 a very interesting situation because you talk about Ben Charrington, and you're like, well, Ben Charrington works for the Blue Jays now, and you look at the Blue Jays, and their two, three, four hitters are. 21 years old they're all the sons of former major league players and they're all awesome and it's like man that is you know you need both things you you need like whoever the person is who's halfway between ben charrington and david dombrowski that's the guy you need i think everyone kind of thought it was theo and i don't know that they're wrong but like we just said theo's been at you know as when he was um hit his like ninth or tenth year whatever it was in Boston, like things had gone South and now he's in his whatever eighth or ninth year in Chicago and things are going a little South. And like, it might just be a job that no one can do very well. Um, except God damn it for Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Yankee minute. Well, here's the thing. The only reason, the only way to do it well 
is to sign guys that nobody else thinks is any good and have them become MVP candidates for that's you. That's right. I mean, and, that's just, and do that seven times in one year. That's <laughs> ideally that's what you do. You get Mike Talkman and Gio Urshela and Cameron Mabin and just have all of them magically turn into um, Lou Brock or something <laughs> like it. Just it is crazy. I mean. That I, we didn't do a Yankee minute last year. Should we? Should we just declare this a Yankee minute? Should I we think do this? this? Is, yes. Let, let's let's say we're in the midst of our Yankee minute now. All right. Um, I'm furious. I couldn't be more furious about everything, uh, which is pretty straightforward for the Yankee minute. But um, they there is a uh, there like a, a a truly crazy making. Like now that we're at the end of the year. They're tied with the Astros for the best record in baseball. And the, what's happening now, which is make, which makes it even more awful, is that they're cycling through the IL. So every day you have to read a story where it's like, <laughs> Urshela and Voight are activated. And you're like, they haven't had Urshela and Voight this whole time, and they've still been winning 80% of their games? And then the next day it's like, Gregorius and, and Mabin are coming off the DL. And it's like, oh, here's Clint Frazier pinch running. And then Edwin Encarnacion is back. Oh, and he hits a home run and a single and drives in four. It's, it's like this extra added thing that is so infuriating where because they've been so injured, they keep coming off the injured list and then immediately hitting a home run. Everyone's hitting a home run. They've now, they're at, so they're at 268 home runs, yes. which is they broke their own record, right? Didn't right. they break it? Yeah. They did. They had yeah. 267 was the record. They just That's right. It. So they're at 268. Um, they have um, they have also set a record for most players in double digit home runs on their roster. Thirteen, 13 guys, 13. and so, you know who was the last of those? By the way, just just to just to add a little, just Mike Ford. That's right, Mike, Mike Ford. Sure, sure. Mike Ford has ten home runs this year. Remember when ten home runs like it would never like lead your team, but it might be third on your team. Like you, like oh, that guy's got. Decent power, a little second baseman with a little more power than you expect, 10 home runs. He's 13th on this team with 10 home runs. Um, You know what's very funny to look at their stats? So Mike Ford, here are Mike Ford's slash stats, batting average, on base, slugging. Ready? Yes. 231 batting average, 323 on base percentage, not very good. Terrible. 521 slugging. (laughs) Really good. (laughs) here's, Here's Edwin Encarnacion, 248, not so good. 326, not so good. 515. <laughs> Here's Aaron Hicks. Three, 235, 325, 443. Talkman, yeah. 277, 361, 504. Like all of these guys. Uh, oh, here's Gary Sanchez, 234, 316, 535. Here's Brett Gardner, 248, 326, 481. He's their leadoff hitter. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. You're not supposed to have that because. Because batting average and slugging percentage are connected. I mean, it's not like there's not supposed to be these wide gaps between batting average and slugging percentage. I mean, all slugging percentage is is you total up the bases of your hits and and divide that by at bats instead of just the number of hits. Yeah. So those are supposed to be pretty close, but that just tells you how many. By the way, Cameron Mabin could absolutely get to ten. Yeah, right? I was just I mean, about to say that he's got eight in. He's got eight home runs in in one hundred ninety eight at bats. One hundred ninety eight at bats. So he absolutely, if they play him, he gets to ten. That's 
14 different guys on that team that have 10 home runs. It is um it's deeply it's deeply absurd. Uh, and by the way, he he has, he's had 10 home runs in his in a season twice in his career. He had 10 within 141 games for the Braves in right. 2015 and he had right. 10 in 114 games in 2017 with the with the uh, Angels and Astros. He's got 8 in 66 games. Um the highest uh his career slugging percentage is 375. This year for the Yankees it's 490. The number of guys who are outperforming their career best in a category by like 40% <laughs> higher than they've ever had. It's crazy. I do, someday someone will explain this to me. Someday someone will explain the 2019 Yankees and, and they'll say like, oh, there was a nuclear power plant uh, in Staten Island and it was leaking radiation and it turned them all into hulks or something. And I will be so happy because until then, I will be utterly baffled by Gio Urshela, a 28-year-old that who no one thought was any good, suddenly hitting 330, 369, 553, and having a 3.5 war season in 115 <sighs> games. What the hell, man? <laughs> All right, you know what? I don't want to sleep. If we're doing the Yankee Minute, I do not want to sleep on the insane year that DJ LeMahieu is having. I do not want to sleep on that year. DJ LeMahieu was a good player. He won a batting title. But it was in Colorado. We all knew DJ LeMahieu was purely a Colorado product, right? Like yeah. that was the whole story of DJ LeMahieu was like really good fielder, good baseball player, good base runner, can't hit, but he's going to put up numbers because he's playing in Colorado. He's having much better season this year than he ever had in Colorado. It's inexplicable. He's 30 years old. He, this is this is not the time to suddenly discover that you're like an MVP candidate. Yeah. What he, is happening? He's a he's a top 15 player in the league in terms of war. He has a higher war than Acuña Jr. He has a higher <laughs> war than Juan Soto and George Springer. He has a higher war than Devers and Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor and Michael Brantley and oh. Carlos Santana and Pete Alonso oh. and Xander Bogarts and Nolan Arenado and Freddie Freeman and Aaron Judge and Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> and Justin Turner. He has a higher war. He has the, basically the same exact war as Max Muncie, who is uh, having a ridiculous season. And he has a high, is the same war, basically the same war as Josh Donaldson. There's only 12 guys in the entire uh, Major League Baseball who have a higher war than, than DJ LeMahieu. It's that not, is ridiculous. He has a chance to hit double the number of home runs he's ever hit in a season. He has 24 home runs. Most he ever hit was last year in Colorado with 15. And that was in Colorado. Uh, before that, his high was that one good year he had where he hit 348 and won the batting title. He had 11 home runs that year. He already has 24 home runs. I, I, I don't know what to say. That's, he's, I, he's, I don't know. It, he's, he's being paid $12 million this year and will be paid $12 million next year. And then he'll be a free uh, agent and the Yankees he, will let him go. And he'll sign yes. a, he'll sign a five-year $280 million contract <laughs> with the Diamondbacks and immediately hurt his knee and never play baseball again. Why is he hitting only 178? They will ask. But uh, <laughs> he seemed so oh. good when he played in New York. <laughs> By the way, right now we can transition out of the Yankee minute into our next segment, which is um, let's call our MVP picks. What do you think? Who the AL is pretty obvious. I mean, Bregman has an argument, probably based on how good that team is. Um, but it's probably Trout again, and, and it probably should be Trout again. He's doing his normal Mike Trout thing. But who is your National League MVP? It's so tough because to me, uh, it comes down to two guys and, and I've gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between them. 
Um, but it, to me, it comes down to to Bellinger and and Yelich, right? I mean, those are to me the two best players in the National League. They have been for most of the year. Bellinger got off to the crazy, crazy hot start and has been fantastic ever since. Uh, Yelich is leading the league in on base percentage and slugging percentage, and and you know he's he's insanely good. He's also has a 30-30 season just for the heck of it. Nobody got a forty thirty season, yeah. 40, 40, 30, nobody even knew he could run. And, and he's like insane. Uh, you know, and Bellinger is, is, like I said, he got off to that insane start, but then, I mean, 306, 410, 642 with 44 home runs and 105 RBIs and 108 runs and 140 games. Uh, that's yeah, pretty good. So <laughs> I, I honestly, I've thought about this and thought about this. And I mean, I think it comes down to the last couple of weeks for me, because I mean, I don't want to make the call now because I think that that something could still happen, even though uh, even though both of their teams seem to be pretty much locked into position. But I think Yelich is my guy. I think Yelich is the MVP. What do you think? I it's it's really close. I mean, yeah. they're remarkably close in a number of categories. There, yes, there's a, a difference of two runs scored. There's a difference of four hits. There's a different or something. There's a difference of uh, let's see, seven hits. Sorry. It's seven hits, nine runs, one double, same number of home runs, eight RBIs, stolen bases. Obviously, Elich has a huge lead. Um, you know, they're on their uh, OPS is within, you know, 0.05. Uh, Bellinger's war is a lot higher. I'm going to assume that's because he he's very he's good defensively. Fantastic. Yeah, he's, and, he, and, that, and Yelich is okay. Yelich isn't a bad defender. No. But, but Bellinger, I mean, Bellinger plays like 11 positions. He plays positions yeah. that don't exist on a baseball he's field. He's a two defensive player this year. I mean, he's, he's, he's really, crazy. really good defensively. Yeah. I say that having seen him play live. Um, oh. I'm basing this purely on my own anecdotal experience, <laughs> which is the best way, as we all know, to evaluate baseball players. But... I think he slightly right now has the lead by like a tenth of a percentage point for me because I think he's I think his defense is really great. He routinely guns guys down from the outfield. He can play center. He can play right. He plays first. He, he does whatever. And I think defensively he he um it, he that puts him over the top. It's really close. And I look. I think that's a that's a perfectly uh perfectly reasonable argument. The question is, Yelich is a better base runner. I mean, Yelich on the bases is uh, just brilliant. He's just—I mean, he doesn't True. just have thirty stolen bases this year. He's only been caught twice all year. So he goes first to third, goes—you know—second. I mean, he's—he's he's so good. God, they're—you know what? I would—I—I'd give it to both. You know, it, it's you happened. Split, it, you could also literally flip a coin, and and yeah. whatever you decide, it's going to be fine. By the way. Here, you want to hear the craziest thing about the Red Sox season, just to go back to the for, for a second. Sure. Le- league leader in run scored Mookie Betts. As you've written, he might score 104. He at one point was on pace for like 150 runs. Yeah. He'll, he'll yeah, get to 140 time. in all likelihood. Um, he's got 128 runs scored. Second in the league is Devers with 116. Second in all of baseball, by the way. All of baseball. They have the top two guys in runs scored. And they have the guy who's tied for 10th. Xander Bogarts has 102. So if I told you before the year started that they would have three guys in the top 10 and run scored and wouldn't sniff the playoffs, how, like what in the world could, how in the world could you have predicted that? That is crazy. 
And it's because it's not it's not an easy explanation. I mean, look, it comes down to pitching. We know that, and the and the bullpen was terrible early, and and so on and so forth. But it's funny. I was talking to a diehard Red Sox fan just a couple of days ago, and she was just going on and on about you know how rough this year has been and whatever. And she was talking about what a terrible year. This is how she phrased it. She's not a she's not somebody who like watches the the you know she's not a baseball reference every day person like we are. She goes. Uh, I just can't believe what a bad year J.D. Martinez is having. Just like everything's flat. <laughs> I'm like, you know, J.D. Martinez is in like 310 with 35 home runs, right? You know that. And she's like, man, it doesn't feel that way. And and she's, <laughs> she's not wrong. It doesn't feel that way because the team has been struggling. But and And because last year was so insane for him. But that's the kind of year that the Red Sox are having where, where Red Sox fans – uh, like sort of casual Red Sox fans are like looking for a scapegoat, somebody to like push this on. And they're like, oh, J.D. Martinez. You know, J.D. Martinez is fine. J.D. Martinez actually is actually like leading the team in OPS plus. I mean, he's he's doing exactly what he's supposed 308, to do. 384, 577, 35 home runs, 31 doubles, 90 runs scored. He's having a great year. The <laughs> interesting thing, I wonder if he ends up opting out because they've had they've tried to play him in the field a few times recently, and it has not, not gone great. And he's no. now in this weird – he is a professional DH. That's his thing. And it's not like those aren't valuable, but – He's making a whole lot of money from the Red Sox, and I kind—I I thought it was—I uh, thought he was absolutely going to opt out because I think almost everyone should who can. Right. The market just goes up forever by five to ten percent a year. Um, but now Price didn't opt out, and now I think JD Martinez isn't going to opt out, and it's yet another reason just to bring this full circle that Dave Dombrowski probably isn't the right guy to lead the team over the next five years. It's just a different environment out there. The one we were talking about was Steven Strasburg. I mean, he can opt out after this year or next. And I mean, he's putting up Cy Young numbers. I mean, it's, it's, you got to think he's going to opt out. Yeah. Uh, and yet on the other hand, I mean, it's scary out there. I mean, it really is. I mean, you, you look and see what happened to Keuchel and, and you just go, I mean, not that, that, that Strasburg is comparable to Keiko, but Madison Bumgarner is, and Madison Bumgarner is a free agent. He is, it's not an opt-out situation. Will Madison Bumgarner cash in in free agency? Probably not. Yeah. yeah I mean, he'll, he'll sign, but, but will he, will he make the big money that, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's scary out there. The most, in, really the scary. most interesting, one of the most interesting contract questions I have over the next few years is Gary Sanchez, right? Um, Gary Sanchez is ARB eligible next year for the first time. And he's been making, you know, 600 grand a year and he hits 35 (laughs) home runs or 40 home runs a year, but that's literally all he does. He has a great arm. He, he guns people down. Unfortunately, catching requires you also to catch the ball when it's pitched to you and he never learned how to do that. So he's, he's, that's a problem. He's both a, terrible liability defensively and also an incredible asset defensively it's one of the weirdest things in the world um but like look at his stats this year he has 90 hits this year 34 of them are home runs um he only has 12 doubles and he weirdly has a triple um but he doesn't (laughs) walk he's walked 38 times this entire year so he has no play discipline never walked he never never walked he strikes out 150 times a year he basically is a is a two 35 hitter who hits 40 home runs a year and is either 
incredibly terrible defensively or a wizard defensively game to game. Uh, what is the, what is that guy worth? I, I have no idea what that guy is worth. That's a, it's a great question. I mean, it's a great question. You know, you look at his, at his defensive numbers issue, you know, last year he led the league in pass balls uh, and he did two years ago as well, but this year he's kind of shut that down a little bit. Um, and he's, he's, he does throw people out. I mean, he's still not a good catcher, but, but he's, but he's better than he'd been the last couple of years, I think. And he gives you that power, but nothing else offensively. Can't run, uh, doesn't get on base, strikes out a ton. You know, I mean, and and also you don't know what that ballpark is for him, right? I mean, that yeah. that that nutty ballpark. So, you know, it, it's it's going to be very interesting. I think if the Yankees want him, the Yankees will pay for him. I do wonder if he would go out there and he would draw a big big contract from somebody else. I just he's also not that young. He's going to turn twenty seven in December, like right. That which is obviously like he's hitting his prime theoretically, but. You know, catcher like Joe Joe do after he turned 30. Like it's it's a tough position, man. And so long term, you're like, well, that is he's also a DH potentially. Right. Like he's also eventually. And and you don't want him as a DH. That's 100 percent right. I mean, you, you there would be teams that he'd be better than the DH they have right now. But you wouldn't want to go out and spend huge money to make him your DH. His value is not that great because all he does is hit home runs. I mean, uh, as an offensive player. So that's a great question. It it's should also be noted win. that in, in 89 games last year, he hit 186. Yeah. His batting yeah. average was 186 and he was hurt. There was that he was, he had injuries all year. That much better this year. Maybe he's just really not hitting that much better. He's, he's hitting a few more home runs. Uh, and that's really the difference between his 186 average last year and his 234 average this year are the home runs. I mean, there's he has 16 more home runs and about the same, you know, a little, a few more at bats, but not that many more at bats. But in his, like his rookie year, he came up, he played in 53 games. He had 20 home runs. Oh yeah, it <laughs> was incredible. He Remember had a thousand OPS, and he was a three-win player in 53 games. That's a nine-win season yeah. pace. Which yeah. I mean, obviously, very few catchers catch 150 games, but right. that is ridiculous. And his oh, yeah. his his OPSs went 1,033. Then next year, 876. Then the next <laughs> right. year, 697. And he's rebounded. Yeah. Is at 851. But he is just such an enigma, this guy. And I know that that oh, was dear. the thing about him. You actually wrote about him a while ago, right? And said that was the thing about him when he was in the minors. Was people were just like, I don't know what to make of this guy. I just don't like yeah. he's all the talent in the world, but doesn't seem to care sometimes. And then just turns on the jets and, and mashes the ball. And I, it's just, I just, I'm very curious to see what happens to him and, and how it, who pays him and how much, because it is a, it is, he's either like the thing I've said this so many times on this dumb podcast that we do, that <laughs> the thing that made those nineties Yankees teams, the, the, the person who infuriated me the most by far was they're catchers every time because they yeah. they like you would you expected it from Bernie Williams um right. right you expected it from those guys you expected it from Derek Jeter but then you know that when the when you have a catcher who can hit um that is just the most infuriating thing it's just absolutely the most infuriating thing 
that you can possibly ever. And like even like Joe Girardi would come up and, and get a big hit in a game. You know, it it's just, it was like it was just endlessly, endlessly infuriating when Posada would draw a walk. Like oh, a yeah. key walk, you know, hitting in the sixth hole, he would draw a key walk and a key in the seventh inning or whatever. When you have a catcher who is a offensive threat, your whole lineup is just so much better. Oh, it's incredible. It's it's a hundred percent right. And I don't know when Sanchez came up that those first fifty games or something, he was phenomenal defensively too. Like we didn't really know about the his inability to catch baseball thing until like the next year. <laughs> Because he has an unbelievable arm and he's a good athlete. I mean, he he was – you thought this guy was going to be Johnny Bench. I mean, that's that's how he looked. And uh, it's he's, he's tough to figure. He is very, very tough to figure. All right. We uh, we have a lot left, so we're going to have to do some Let's skipping. Let's more gonna, segments. More segments. Let's get a gonna, segment in here. We are going to skip our podcast player segment this week because uh, we just don't have time. And plus, we have we'll have so much good podcast player stuff when we're in Chicago uh, over the weekend. We'll be able to really go de- delve deep into it. But what we cannot skip uh, in our in our uh, sort of uh, Monday first Monday of the NFL season is we cannot uh, skip checking in on the Cleveland Browns. Let's check in on the Cleveland Browns. So, <laughs> how's it going? Right. How are you feeling? <laughs> Everything. <else? laughs> so, uh, the Browns. Uh, I don't know how much uh, our podcast listeners have been following this, uh, but there was a lot of a lot of uh, buzz about the Browns this offseason. Would you say br- buzz? Would you call it buzz? I would, I call, would it, call it uh, a straight up hype. Hype, ballyhoo. There was a lot of excitement about the Cleveland Browns uh, this offseason. And and I will say, with with some real uh, reason behind it, some real, there's some real merit to, to, to the buzz because the Browns do uh, have a, a very exciting uh, young quarterback. They have uh, playmakers all over the field. They picked up uh, the incomparable Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, this offseason. So you, you could look at this team and say, I wouldn't trade very many rosters in the NFL for for this roster. It's uh it's incredibly young, it's incredibly talented, it's incredibly exciting. And uh on Sunday the Browns had their first game of the season as 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 most teams did and it was incredibly exciting and tremendous amount of buzz uh in the stadium filled with with orange clad fans just going crazy jim nance was the broadcaster for the game i literally cannot remember the last time jim nance called a browns game like usually like whoever the sixth announcer is they they you know they tell that person you know like two days before like yeah you're sorry you got to go to Cleveland. it's usually and, and either that- a, like a contest winner like a person <laughs> who won a contest in a cereal box kind of thing or it's a person who is being actively punished by his right, or her right. network. Somebody, it's like you, you did this, you stole a bunch, you embezzled a bunch of money uh, from the pension fund and your punishment is you have to go do the Browns game. These people, they, they are not only punished. It's an, it's an obvious effort to run them off from their jobs. Yeah, right. That's I mean, right. You, you're basically saying, look, we're going to keep sending you out there until you quit. And that's the only way around it. And so that's how it's been 
forever. And so there's Jim Nance and there's the big crowd and the Browns get the ball first and they drive right down the field. I mean, right down the field, perfect running, passing, score a touchdown, go up six, nothing. And at that moment, at that instant, when the Browns scored the touchdown and the crowd was going crazy and Jim Nance was talking about the Super Bowl and all of those things were happening, I felt ill, very <laughs> ill, because I knew this, that there was a chance that this was as good as it ever was going to get. Oh, really? So it, it, it kicked in for you immediately. The fear kicked immediately, in. Immediately. Immediately. And then... The Browns rookie kicker missed the extra point, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's let's just watch this. And uh, you and I were were texting back and forth during the game. Uh, there were there were many many interesting elements to the Browns' 43-13 loss to Tennessee, but none as interesting as the fact that the Browns committed 18 penalties uh-huh. for 182 yards. Interesting. In only nine teams in NFL history have had more than 182 yards in penalties. And here's the thing I want to say about that, 182 yards. The Browns did not have a defensive pass interference penalty in the game. So there wasn't wow. any, like, 57-yard penalty that, like, padded the numbers. No, they legitimately got 182 penalty yards. And so now I ask you, as devoted Browns fan in in full-fledged panic. What does it mean? What does it mean? That is a wild stat. I did not oh realize God. that none of yeah. those penalty yards were, no. were DPE. Uh, right, because that's how it always is. That's why you don't even look at the like the yeah. total yards. And right? also, it's when, like, when, oh. you, when you see like the number is 182, you assume that somewhere in there is a 42-yard pass interference right. penalty. Yeah. Right. Okay, exactly. so here, here I'm going to say a few things. Um, Number one, uh, last year, six eventual playoff teams lost to s- their opening game to six teams that did not go to the playoffs. Ah, so week one, who cares a little bit, right? right. And, and, true. and in, true. I've, I've heard a lot of people say this, and I think it's true that in some ways getting blown out at home is was maybe a good thing you can spin right. it as a good thing for this team because they had too much hype around them there were too many expectations too many people talking about how they're definitely going to the playoffs and they're going to where people are thinking super bowl it's you know seahawks yeah. browns <laughs> super bowl or whatever and so like all right like the the nfl is impossible it's impossible for every team but the patriots to navigate and it, I don't think it's necessarily bad that they got kicked around a little bit, uh, yeah. I mean, whatever. That, there, there's, there's one thing to say. The other thing to say is that division outside of the Browns is worse than I it's think terrible. significantly worse than it was. Uh, it has terrible. been in a while for the simple reason that I think the Steelers kind of stink. They yeah. don't have Antonio Brown. They don't have Le'Veon Bell. Bet Roethlisberger is 37 and looks like um, he spent yeah. the entire offseason just at, at an all-you-can-eat buffet at Outback Steakhouse. And I don't think I don't think the Steelers are a playoff team. And I know, again, I'm I'm not just overreacting to one game. I just in general look at that roster and just I just wonder. Yeah, went into the year thinking that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now, obviously, the flip side is the Ravens looked amazing, but the Ravens were also playing a high school team called the Miami Dolphins. And so... <laughs> Uh, I, I just think in general, the Browns path, a, any team in that division's path to a division title is way easier than it's ever been. And I just think 
I think that they're just their roster has too many really good players on it to be this bad. I, I and and then you add to that like I think they probably came out super tight because they were trying to win yeah. a Super Bowl on game nope. one, and like you know they got they had a safety. You know, they, they 182 yards of penalties, their left tackle kicked a guy in the head and got ejected. And then Mayfield was under pressure for the entire game. Like every possible thing that could go wrong went wrong. Um, and, it, you know, including, as you put it, the, so they score a touchdown in the, uh, in the second, in the beginning of the uh, second half to pull within two points. And you were like, okay, here you go. Now they're going to, you know, now they're going to start playing the way they're supposed to play. The next pass was a 75-yard screen pass to a to a running back to Derrick Henry, uh, in which there wasn't another. You couldn't even see any of the Browns in on camera. They weren't on camera. They were all in the other end zone having a conference about how they were going to guard against the in, against the screen pass, and it was it truly wild. Like they just got absolutely out. Uh, they fell apart. They just it was a complete. And then after that, so after that touchdown. Um, after that Derrick Henry touchdown that made it a nine-point game, uh, it went uh, went Mayfield interception, Titans touchdown, Mayfield interception, Titans touchdown. Turn the turn the uh, ball of run downs. Then they actually forced a punt, and then it was a pick six, pick six. And, then, and then the game was over. So it was just a, it was a complete collapse. And I think yeah. that sometimes in the NFL you just have a complete collapse. And I, and in the old days of the Browns, you would think like, well, yeah, they collapse every game. Like that's just what the Browns do. But I think this was the different kind of collapse. I think they came out super tight and, and they were trying to win. They were trying to make the playoffs in game one and they just got picked apart and they just totally collapsed. And I, I think that every single player on that roster is better than he played in that game. And I think I still would put money on them making the playoffs. That's my feeling. Well, I I think I think you're right. I I actually even as a as a devoted pessimist, uh, do believe that the that this was probably good for them. I mean, I I do think that this was. It's not a wake up call because I mean, if you're if you're the Browns and you're not awake, forget it. I mean, it's not that. It's just that it's a reminder that it's hard. It's hard to win in the NFL. It's hard to 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 stay disciplined. It's hard to do all of these things. And I'm not saying that the Browns thought it was going to be easy, but I do think that there was some sense of, oh, we've, ar- we've arrived. You know, and and really, the one thing that really frustrated me about the, the offseason hype is this Browns team has done nothing, literally nothing. They won those five games last year uh, at the end of the year against five terrible teams or five losing record teams. And it's fine. I'm glad they won them. And, I'm, and, and I do think they've got a lot of talent. But this team needs to have the attitude of, wow, we are, we've got a lot to prove instead of the attitude of, look at us. You know, I mean, the, like the, the Titans have won nine games. I think they're trying to win nine games for the fourth year in a row. Uh, so there have been like borderline, you know, playoffs, borderline good, borderline everything for the last three or four years. And they came in feeling disrespected against the Browns. Like, like, like that, that is not where the Browns need to be, where like teams are coming in like, oh, we'll show you. I mean, the Browns are the ones that need to feel like we'll show you. So, so I do think it was good in the end. But I also will say they play the Jets in week two. And if there's any semblance of what happened this week in that game, 
then I think I think it's fair to start unloading a little bit of panic, just a little. Yeah, bit and and look, they might also be an entire year away from being the team that everyone thought they were going to be true. this year. Like that, that's, true. that's a totally plausible scenario. There's a plausible scenario where they're again they're seven and nine or eight and eight this year, or they're even nine and seven and are you know competing. They're they have a chance to make the playoffs in week fifteen right. or whatever, but they don't. They fall short. Like that's also totally possible that is a very common thing when you're going from a team that was zero and 16 and then the next year was whatever they were what were they last year seven and nine seven, what, seven eight and one seven eight and one right <laughs> right they almost had like they were almost like seven five and six or something right. like, they was tie every game like, so, well, under Hugh, every week was like a tie yeah tie. so um so you know i who who knows but like i I would say as a, as a budding Browns fan and as a person who genuinely roots for any moribund franchise to, sure. uh, to win a championship or to, or to be relevant and good to the point where I, cause I don't really care about hockey. I was kind of happy for the St. Louis blues that they won the Stanley cup last year right. because they hadn't won it in whatever, however long it was. I, that's all I really want out of sports these days is for whoever wins to be a team that hasn't won in a really long time. Yeah. So I, you know, that I, I'm, I'm rooting for them actively, but I also think that like, there's a, there's a step between championship and moribund. And that step is to be a team that just gives its fans a reason to wake up every Sunday and watch football or wake up every day and watch baseball. And if that would be a huge advance for Browns fans, if you just had a team where week to week, you legitimately felt like you had a chance to win and you were right a lot of the time. That would be an enormous advance in the lives of many, many Americans, and that would make me happy. And I have to tell you, that's all I want. That's all I've wanted. I've I've always been really scared and negative about the Super Bowl hype. I I don't look if if this team happens to be miraculous, like that you know that Eagles team suddenly showed up. That's great. I mean, obviously you'll 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 love it, but that's never what I wanted from this team or expected from this team. I expected this team to just take a big step forward in exactly the way you're saying where every week they compete. Uh, they're not a joke. They're they're You know, nobody comes in thinking they're going to get an easy win against them. Um, and, you know, and, and they, and they improve and you could see each guy getting better and better and better. That's what, that's all I've ever wanted from, from this team. And uh, week one, we didn't get that. We didn't no, get that at correct. all. Correct. You so, got what you, um, <laughs> what, what you have always to. had. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go on to our draft. We are we are drafting um, childhood gadgets. That's what we're drafting. And it's our childhood. We don't care about your childhood, no. frankly. Uh, we care only about our own. And we're a little bit uh, – I'm a little bit older than you, so my childhood gadgets may go back a little bit before yours. But that is what we were drafting, childhood gadgets. And you want to take the first I pick? Think you, I think I had the first one last time, so I think you should get first pick. All right, I will take the first pick. Um, I've, I've got a long list of childhood gadgets that I, there's so many that I love deeply, but I'm going to go ahead and start with sort of the ultimate childhood gadget, my childhood gadget. And it's a little bit, it started a little bit before my time, but but it was still very, very prominent when I was a kid. And that is electric football. Now, I want to make it clear, I'm drafting electric football, which is the board, the long uh, football field with the little tiny plastic 
guys on it that would, you know, they would rumble and the players would move and you would try to set up plays and, and that sort of thing. And not taking electronic football, which is the little handheld game with the little blips of light representing football players. Uh, and I, I want to make that clear because I might take electronic football later because it is also incredibly awesome. But electric football is great for two reasons. One is it is the ultimate example of a gadget that looks so much better in like the store than it actually is. Like everything about electric football, like you think about it, you see it, uh, you 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 see the commercial, you you see the board itself. It's it like lights up your imagination. It completely just the idea that you're going to have these little plastic players and they're going to sort of be able to you'll be able to sort of set them up so that you can kind of create plays and and create like little sweeps and everything about that being able to create your own little football universe. Awesome. Just awesome. So it doesn't work that way. And that leads to the second awesome thing about electronic electric football the reason the day and the moment i realized that electric football wasn't as all these things that i had hoped and dreamed it to be was the day that it broke my electric football game broke the the plug no longer worked and i was told rightfully that the way to play electric football even after it's broke is to put it on top of the dryer while things are drying and then have it <laughs> and it works exactly the same exactly the same. And, uh, and so, so that is both awesome in that I got to continue to play, uh, electric football and not awesome in that, uh, it sort of, it, it sort of took the magic away. So my first gadget of childhood, electric football. I mean, you've, as your first pick, you've picked a, a piece of junk that you should throw directly <laughs> into the trash. That's what had, what just happened. Electric football. That's correct. It's terrible. It's famously. I played electric football once at my friend's house, my friend Steve, and I was like, "Wait, this is it?" And he was like, "Yeah." And we never played it again. Like we, you, you realize very quickly, like there's no way to do it. It isn't anything. It's like a, it's a, it's a. There is no game to it. It just the people just mill around. It was like having an ant farm, basically. But be, but the ant farm had been sold to you as a game where you could control the ants. And you go, oh, I can't control these ants. And then you just you lose interest and throw it in the garbage. I mean, everyone I knew who got that game played it once and then threw it in the garbage. Yeah, I played it like four times and threw it in the garbage. That's right. <laughs> that's, your, that's your number one pick? Because none of the gadgets that I have are things that I could use now. They're gadgets of my childhood. But They're they released electronic, electric, right? Electronic football, the one with the little little dashes of light. They re-released yep. those like ten years ago, and everyone bought them and delighted in playing them, including you me. You can still you can still buy electric football. Yeah, you can still it's still for sale. Mm. All right, <laughs> I, I, whatever, man. It's your life. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to pick the Walkman, a much more useful object that was invented in my childhood. Um, yes. It was the it was the thing you had to have. If you didn't have it, you, then your life was terrible, uh, straight up. Like it, <laughs> you're, you were nobody. You didn't matter. You nothing. It 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 did a thing that that desperately needed to be done, which was music was a thing that caused fights. 
in car trips and in in your home it was like someone got to choose the music and then some everyone else had to suffer the other person's music and you had to make deals with your siblings and you sometimes your parents would just overrule you and say we're listening to classical music and then you would complain and suddenly you had the everyone had the ability to listen to their own music and it was just the biggest breakthrough and it also led to the rise of the mixtape which uh, no one under the age of probably 33 has any idea what I'm talking about, but you made mixtapes for your friends and you shared music that way. And then you went home and you could listen to it as you walked to the bus in the morning, which is what I did. And you could listen to it on, on, on field trips and you could listen to it in your room and no one would get upset at you. And your mom wouldn't yell at you for listening to music too loud. It was just the most important thing. It made so that it made music into a thing that was personal and that you could um, you could experience individually in a way that you could never experience it before. And you didn't have to fight with your siblings. And it, it I like, the, I still can feel the, the uh, uncomfortable foam covered Walkman uh, <laughs> headphones on my ears. I can still hear the click of the cassette when you put it in. Like that was an enormous breakthrough in, um, in terms of like how uh, people experience music. And so that's my number one pick. You know what? It's a it's a it's a good pick. It's a very very solid pick. It's it's excellent. By the way, there, there are two points I want to make. One is um, my oldest daughter, who is now eighteen years old, uh, which is heartbreaking to me in every way. Um, she there was this guy that liked her when she was fourteen or I think thirteen or fourteen. But I think fourteen, and he made her a mixtape. Look at this fourteen year old kid made her an actual mixtape. Fantastic. And she was. I was she was del- I was delighted. I mean, as delighted as I could be about you know some boyfriend, uh, but I was delighted. She was delighted, and the best part was when she came home and she said he made me a mixtape. And then she's looked at me and she's like, "How do we play this?" And the answer was no idea, absolutely no <laughs> earthly idea. We went to the store. They still sell some version of Walkman, like it's CVS's. You know, find them in sure. There like 299 or something and uh and so i literally went out and bought her a walkman uh for, for that so that's that's the first thing the second thing about the walkman is you didn't get great bit battery life with the walk no Did terrible with that? <laughs> i remember thinking there were times like especially when in and the great thing about the walkman and all cassette players was when the battery started running low it didn't stop. The songs just started getting slower. You just started hearing like that. Wah, you yeah, know, like, it just that, like warped. It warped. And then sometimes when they really malfunction, they would just eat your tape and the tape would come spilling oh, yeah. out. And, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many times did you ever have to do that where you pulled it out and all the all the tape is all over the place? Oh, you had to so many. And then just very carefully. And then the, tape would, the like, tape would be pencil. bent sometimes. And then at that point in the song, <laughs> it would warp and and be terrible. And you just had to deal with that. I mean, it's not like it was a good product, but, no, it's, but, it, but was, it, was, it was a breakthrough. It was a it huge was a breakthrough. breakthrough. Yeah, it was. All right. My second pick, I'm going to take uh, a breakthrough since, since I got so much uh, for my nostalgia pick, uh, the Game Boy. The Game Boy was a magnificent, magnificent breakthrough. Um, it was, it, it, I've seen a Game Boy fairly recently. It's embarrassing that this that this thing delighted us to the extent that we did. I'm talking about the original because they made Game Boys later with color, and then and then they actually like did it where you could actually see games. Game Boy was the original place uh, where you played Tetris, right? I don't think Tetris was around 
before the Game Boy, or maybe it was, and Game Boy just took advantage of Tetris. But Tetris uh, was an incredible breakthrough in in all ways, uh, and of course, is still played today uh, by many people. And then Game Boy started coming up with other ways to do it. I remember they had Game Boy Bowling where the little block would go back and forth until you hit the button and then it would go down the lane uh, as, as you tried to knock down uh, other blocks that represented pins. Um, there, we had about 10 different Game Boy games, I guess, and uh, each of them delightful in their own uh, incredibly archaic way. And, uh, and I believe that's really what led to... Uh, to the video revolution, one of the things that led to the video revolution. So my second pick, I'm taking the Game Boy. Uh, I believe Tetris was a PC game before it was a Game Boy game, but um, because oh, my dad was a, my dad was in the Navy, and he came back from uh, from he he was in the reserves, but he would go on active duty a lot, and he came back from an active duty mission in the like mid eighties and was like, I, my, someone on board his ship had this game and he was like, you guys have to play this. And like, he was immediately addicted to it. And then we were immediately addicted to it. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, he, I'm going to guess that was, I don't know when the game boy was invented, but I think this in my memory that he was, he knew about Tetris in like 85, which I think was before the game boy, 85, 86, 87, somewhere in there. Anyway. Um, so it's a good pick. Although my second pick is sort of, um, it was the the generation before that, which is the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. That oh, sure. was the first game system that anybody had. There was the there was the um, there was ColecoVision around the same time, maybe a little later. There was there were those kinds of things. But the Atari Twenty Six Hundred again, it was a thing that if you didn't have it, you were nowheresville. And um, right. my uh, parents didn't let me have it. Um, which was very good parenting on their part. <laughs> we didn't have it either. Yeah, and but friends um, had it. Yeah, yeah, friends. My friend uh, who lived around the corner from me, Kurt Hickox, had it, and and I used to uh, sleep over at his house all the time, and and we just played Pac Man forever, just forever yeah. and ever and ever. And the the great thing about the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Pac Man was the Pac Man didn't turn its head when you <laughs> ate, so it it moved. Uh, it was I think it was in my memory it was facing left, and but if you if you moved back to the right, it just absorbed the pellets through the back of its head. It just it didn't it didn't turn around and eat them. Uh, it, I mean, it was truly terrible, low res uh, graphics. But then also it had combat, which was the tank game. Sure, um, sure. It, ha- it had a bunch of um, it had Indiana Jones and an Indiana Jones game that I never solved and wish like uh, wish I <laughs> I wish I had it now because I would I would like figure out how to solve it. Um, but those those games like. It was the first time that you their joystick was terrible. It was just that it, it's a black joystick um, that's very hard to hold. The actual stick isn't tall enough to like fit in a <laughs> in a human hand and had one red button. And it but it was like you could just feel the future. It felt like the future. It felt it was like war games was out and um and like the and the video games were like becoming a thing. And it just felt like, oh, this is the future and by the way it was they were correct that is the future like my son now <laughs> plays nba 2k 20 on the sony playstation which looks and feels like an actual nba game when oh, you're yeah, watching it on a flat screen tv and it's like this is all the 2600 all of this stuff at some level is because of that original mass marketed game console so uh, now, to me, you, that was that's my two, number two now do you remember atari football do you remember the football uh, atari yes i, I do I know, I'm, I'm going to assume it was that uh, it was the 2600. I'm pretty sure. 
you had like the, the thing, there were two things about it that were amazing. One, they couldn't get all 11 people on the field. So, so they had some representation of like three offensive linemen maybe, and, and then a running back and then like maybe two receivers. I don't remember the, the full configuration, but, but it was a smaller version. But the, the main thing I remember from it, if I believe it was from that year and I'm sure I'll be corrected if I was not, um, offensive linemen, if they hit a defender, the defender would disappear, would like literally <laughs> disappear, like the ultimate pancake block. If you absolutely nailed somebody, you're gone. Like that defensive player is gone. And I've never gotten that that image out of my head. I like I whenever I see a pancake block, uh, I think to myself, yeah, that's like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, where you, they just made defenders disappear by hitting them. So. So yeah, what about Atari? Is like I remember that um, when you tackled a guy, he would sort of like he it, both players would like freeze, and then the <laughs> tackled player would just like crumple to the ground like he was dead. <laughs> it would just like it was like a sort of three step process of just like that person is dead, and then if you scored, the player would celebrate by sort of turn. They were in profile. Uh, the right. players were in profile. You were watching like from the sideline. And then if he scored, he would turn toward you uh, in its terrible pixeled uh, way and would sort of shimmy like he was like his like celebration was just he would like turn towards you and just like wave his arms up in the air. I mean, it, the, the word primitive doesn't begin to do it justice in terms of how bad these games were. Well, that's my primitive. My third pick and my, is going to be my primitive uh, uh, pick. I am going to take the VIC-20 computer, which was the first computer that we had. Um, the VIC-20, I believe, and again, I could be wrong about this. I believe it was called the VIC-20 because it had 20 KB of memory. There you go. Not, not megabytes, not, you know, whatever, K, like thousand bytes. Basically 20 K... Right now, how many things in your house do you believe you have that has more than 20 KB in memory? I mean, definitely my toaster has <laughs> 10 times that at least. <laughs> I think my bed has more. I think every little every literally everything in my house has more than 20 KB. So so that's all we had. Of course, it was a humongous breakthrough uh, that we have any kind of computer at all. And and you the thing I remember doing is that you could design games on it. Uh, and and there were magazines that you could buy if you typed in certain, you know, you typed in the coding, it was all basic, and you typed in the coding, uh, if you typed it in right, at the end, you would have like a game, like a little whatever, I mean, there were just a number game or like a little tic-tac-toe or something like that. But even this was entirely mind-blowing. And then, of course, later, that was Commodore, it was the Commodore FIC-20, later they did the Commodore 64, which had the unheard of capacity of 64 KB. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Apple comes along and all that, but the Vic 20 is where it started. Uh, awesome. And it was our first computer and we loved it. So, uh, so I'm going to pick the Vic 20 with my third pick. So two things about this that I think about all the time. Um, my first computer that I ever owned, um, I didn't own a, call, a computer until I went to college in 1993, and it sure. was a, it was a gradu- high school graduation present from my grandparents and my and my mom, and it was a uh, Mac Centris 610. Right. It was called a Centris, and yes. it came standard with four megabytes of storage, <laughs> and it cost like two thousand dollars. It had four megabytes of storage, four and megabytes. for an extra like 
$400, you could upgrade to eight megabytes of storage. <laughs> and my the big like victory that I won was negotiating my mom up to pay to spring for the extra four megabytes. And I was like, wow. I remember carrying it home from the store in, uh, in college. I went and picked it up because I ordered it like through the university. And I was like, I have a, I'm holding a computer with eight <laughs> megabytes of storage. And now literally every photo you take is the <laughs> More than eight megabytes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would take one photograph and they'd be like, out of memory, sorry. Yeah, Thanks. yeah where yeah. your hard drive is full. And the other thing that I heard that, so I think you and I have talked about this before, but growing up, uh, uh, you would you would learn about the Cray supercomputer, right? You remember the Cray supercomputer? It was oh, like yeah. in the Guinness Book of World Records, it was the world's most powerful computer. It took up an entire room. There was one at like MIT. There was one at like the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at, at Caltech. There was, right. you know, one, there were like eight of them in the world. There was one in Russia and one in China. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and um, the Cray supercomputer, um, the entire processing power of the Cray supercomputer is um, equivalent to like uh, the like third generation iPhone or something or the second generation <laughs> iPhone. Like the second generation iPhone had like seven times more computing power than the Cray supercomputer. Oh my and, God. And the corollary to that fact um, which I'm sure I have the details wrong, but the corollary to that was, uh, remember the old Rot uh, Motorola flip phone, the razor that everybody had for a while, for like oh, two yeah. years, everybody had the razor. So there was more computing. That is like, a, you think about how primitive that phone was. Now, when you texted people, you had to go like A, B, C, <laughs> right. you know, D, right. E, A, B, whatever. <laughs> so there was more computing power in the Motorola razor than there was on the Apollo Saturn V moon rocket. I, it's insane. It's insane. Um, it's insane. And what's insane is that they got to the moon. I, I cannot, I mean, I mean, and, and they that's got a to little the moon bit in a giant spaceship with less computing power than a Motorola razor. <laughs> <laughs> it is not possible. It, they were so much smarter. We think of ourselves so much smarter. And of course we, we, we have so much more advanced stuff, but we would never, we can't figure out how to do stuff with like infinite computer pro computing pro power. They went to the moon on that. It's yeah. incredible. And they got incredible. back. They didn't even die up there. They should have, <laughs> by all rights, they should have died. <laughs> they should still be up there just floating around because a Motorola Razor had to bring them home. Um, I'm going away from computers for my third pick. Uh, I'm going with laser tag. So oh. laser tag, um, when laser tag came out, it was like, it was like a miracle. It was like, again, it was like, we're living in the future. There, I have a gun that shoots laser beams. And, and my parents didn't let me play with actual guns, like even toy guns. I never had cap guns. I never had like toy, like, you know, sheriff's rifle, whatever. Uh, I wasn't allowed to play with guns, which I'm very happy about. I have the same rule for my kids. And, but, but they did let us have laser tag because it was so futuristic and silly and weird. And it looked like a, it was Star Wars stuff. So it didn't, it didn't feel violent. But there was a year where uh, my uncle gave all, me and all of my cousins for Christmas, gave us all laser tag and we wore the, the target things around our chest and we ran around and played laser tag and got shot and the little lights blipped up and was exciting. And then I remember like just taking home the target. It was like a circular target. Um, and I would like place it around my house and just move into different places and try to see like how far away I could shoot the target from <laughs> And I would set it up in a mirror and I would like try to bounce the laser off the mirror and, and stuff. And it, it just was like, 
it was hours and hours and hours of just like science fiction fun that was really happening in your real life. And the crazy thing about laser tag is they still do it. It still we'll exists. Still it. Like Absolutely. people, it's, it's one of the only things from when we were kids that was like, quote, futuristic, end quote, that still has some juice. Like, I, you know, my son went to camp this year and they still play laser tag. Like they run around oh, and yeah. play laser tag. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that that, I mean, obviously it's much more advanced now and stuff, but like, it's pretty amazing that like, they still do essentially what the, the what we were doing on that, like Christmas day in 1986 or whatever it was. Uh, I gotta, you gotta kind of give it up to laser tag, like a oh, good, good invention. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's really, it, it's incredible that they, first of all, that they, uh, uh, I mean, the technology itself was so, was so, at that time, was so advanced. But beyond that, it's like kind of a genius idea. Like, I, I, I had it the same way where we didn't, uh, we didn't have guns in, in my house. So we didn't do anything with, with any, you know, not even squirt guns, nothing. Um, but this is like this totally harmless way of like creating that kind of fun. I mean, it's really kind of a genius it's a genius bit, you yeah. know. I mean, that's it's really pretty great. All right, with my um, with my fourth pick, I am going to take, um, and I don't know. I, like I say, this is going to be well before my. I mean, not, not well before, but a couple of years before my childhood. But it still seemed unbelievably new and exciting uh, when I was a kid, and it was the single. I mean, gadget that I spent any, you know, the most time with. I would say, uh, and that is our Nerf hoop. So the Nerf hoop was, I am looking this up now just because I wanted to, to figure it out. It looks like the Nerf hoop, Nerf hoop was invented in 1972, and that was when, uh, when, when I was five. So, uh, so I'm, not, I'm not wrong. I don't know when I got my first Nerf hoop, but I cannot think of any moment in my childhood where I was doing anything when I that I would rather be doing than spending time dunking and shooting on our Nerf hoop and and the idea behind the Nerf hoop is brilliant. First of all, you have to invent the. It's a multi multi step process. You have to invent the Nerf ball that you can just completely play in, indoors and it's completely safe. You have to invent the hoop like in some sort of plastic way, but you had to. There's no place to put the hoop, so you had to create this way to put it above your door. And then close the door, and then it's like completely stable. It's a complete nerf hoop. Uh, it's great for dunking. It's great for shooting. It's great for for practicing free throws. It's ideal. You could do it by yourself. You could do it with friends. Amazing, amazing thing invented in my uh, childhood that still has, I believe, some some. Uh, I think some kids still do nerf hoop, but it's. I don't think it's quite what it used to be. Uh, but it's still awesome. So my fourth well, pick is the Nerf hoop. You're missing the best part of the Nerf hoop, which is the perfectly round orange ball. That, oh, yeah. That well, perfect, the, like, the, it, the perfectly round sponge <laughs> that you played with. Like, I was, I almost picked Nerf football as the invention, but I have this, I have two problems with it. Number one is it predates me a little bit. It's because uh, it it was invented before I, it, it can't doesn't really count as my childhood. All right, but yeah. But also... I think I'm angry at how they've ruined it because the original Nerf football, there was a perfectly smooth sponge with like right. slightly raised um, uh, laces, sponge right. laces. Now they're all like, 
they're, they're too complicated. They've got like these, they've got yeah. like sort of like ridges on them and the, 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 the material, the actual nerf material is different. And they, they actually, they, they throw better. Like you can throw them. Of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah. They're, it's a better product clearly, but like, I just don't like the innovation in it. And so I'm like, I'm like down on nerf footballs. And so I just angrily decided to not choose them <laughs> in this draft, but the original, the, the nerf basketball was a perfect item. It was a perfect, oh, it was an absolutely, absolutely perfect thing. That little dumb orange ball. And, <laughs> it, and if it got, if it got like a chunk taken out of it, if your like dog ate a chunk out of it, or sure, sure. it was like you gotta get a new one, like you just right. And, and Nerf footballs, you could deal with a little chunk being taken out of and it, like you. Do you have a Nerf football that didn't have a chunk? All of them had. They chunks. all had chunks, but like on the playground, you would go and you would get. There were like there was usually like two or three Nerf footballs, and like you would there was one that was like the good one, and it was the one where like there was only one little chunk taken out of one end of the laces, so you could always use the other end of the laces to throw the ball throw. properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then and then there was one where like a hole, like a like a real chunk had taken out of it, and it wouldn't fly properly or whatever. Um, but the, you could deal with a chunk taken out of the Nerf football. You could not deal with a chunk taken out of the no, basketball. The basketball no, had they, to be completely round and perfect, or else it was like you got to get a new one. <laughs> and the Nerf foot, the Nerf basketball, less expensive than the Nerf football. Yeah, could, that's right. Yeah, um, you could always find one without the actual. You know, the the you came the set with the with the hoop, but then you had the just the Nerf the Nerf basketball. Well, it's a good pick. It's I I, I applaud your pick. Um, Thank I'm you. gonna go. Um. I've got a lot of choices here. It's funny because our childhoods are slightly different. <laughs> Your yes. childhood is slightly older than mine. Yes. Uh, and so I, uh, the, it's interesting. I'm going to go with a, uh, something that's truly a terrible invention, a deeply terrible invention, but one that nostalgically um, I, I really care for, which was the combination TV VCR player. <laughs> so... <laughs> VCRs are invented. Everyone has to get a VCR, and right. you, you in it, and you have to hook it up with wires to your TV. And it, a lot of things would go wrong, and it would constantly not work. And then one day, someone was like, "I've got it. <laughs> it's one box <laughs> where there's a TV and a VCR just built into it, so you don't have to hook it up with wires." And for like two seconds, it was really popular. Because everyone loved the convenience of not having to actually use wires to plug in the VCR. One right. second later, DVDs were invented. <laughs> <laughs> and then they sold combination TV DVD players and whatever. But like it just it moved so fast. It all fell apart really fast. But I really loved that combination TV VCR. It was a real like there was a real moment in time where that was the cool thing that you could have. Now, there were several problems with it. Number one, VCRs are obviously terrible. Number two, yeah. um, the, uh, the the TV couldn't be very big because right. it was that basically was had to be the size of what a VCR <laughs> player was in order for it not to be a very awkwardly shaped object. So the actual TV was like a 15-inch TV or something, which made it sort of bad. But you could pick up the whole thing and just put it in the car and, and then go... Uh, somewhere to your friend's house or whatever and plug it in and then just watch a watch a tape and the and it really you did you again you felt like you were like oh this is a real technological advancement <laughs> this is like <laughs> this is the big time and on the good place there's a character named mindy st Clair who died in the 80s and has a sort of and is sort of trapped in a sort of eternal 1980s um sort of purgatory existence right. and we 
purposely made her have a combo TV VCR <laughs> player um, because I just it's so evocative to me of like a very specific year in the 1980s when that was the thing that like everyone got for Christmas or Hanukkah that year was like that. If you got that, it was like, oh, my God, we got that thing. Um, so that's my number four pick purely not because it's good or at all. In fact, it's terrible, but for pure nostalgia reasons. Yeah, well, that's why I put. That's how I took uh, electric football. The thing about the about the uh, VCR because we had, I had a TV VCR. That was my first, uh, my first uh, actual television that I that was mine was my uh, TV VCR uh, television. Is and this is something you never think about. Um, if one part of it breaks, the whole thing breaks. That's right. Like it's not. You don't have, you don't have like, oh no, it's just my VCR. I have to get a new one. No, it's, you have to, your VCR breaks, it, the television goes too. And, uh, and that happened to, to, to my thing. But you're also right about the size of it. You know, that's, there was, the convenience felt great, but then it's like, wow, this is a really small television, like really small. Yeah. And the quality of VCRs were so bad that you're watching something on a VCR and on its tiny television. You might as well not be watching anything at all. It's a I bad mean, it's product. Just, it's a it's a straight up bad product. There's no question. My fifth pick. Uh, I have so many choices, but I'm going to go with one that's nostalgic and uh, because it is the single thing from my childhood that I remember just absolutely blowing my mind and thinking, "Wow, the future is here." And and I did not have one of these, but my uncle did, and my uncle came to visit, and at some point. And he did this. He he. My uncle is was the pretty dramatic person anyway. And at some point, somebody said maybe we were at dinner, and somebody said, "Oh, well, what's the tip on a nineteen dollar dinner or whatever?" And he like sort of very dramatically threw his arms out, turned his watch, which was the Casio calculator watch, the best, and. The best. And just started punching in the numbers of the cast. And I just remember my jaw drip hit the floor. Like calculators were kind of like futuristic at that time. But to have a calculator watch, which undoubtedly worked like three times before it broke, right? I mean, there's there's I mean it's he must have just gotten it when he when he showed it to us because it worked and he we actually all were gathered around as he typed in the numbers. So, uh, again, kind of a terrible product in the long run, but entirely futuristic, the Casio calculator watch. It was, it's on my board. Uh, it was, it's a, um, I had one, my friends had one, you never oh. used it. There was no reason to use it. It was a watch with a bunch of buttons on it. Um, there were people who were, there were kids who were like, I'm going to use this and like cheat on my math tests. And it was like the yeah. amount of the, the, the hoops you had to jump through physically to punch in the numbers on those tiny buttons would have given you away immediately to any teacher right. with right. any acumen at all. Um, it would have just been easier to figure it out yourself. Yep. Useless, totally useless project. Um, coveted by everyone. That's a, <laughs> um, and my fifth pick is actually the same exact thing. Uh, not the same exact item, but as the same exact category. And it yep. was the heat sensitive, uh, clothing. Do you remember this? Oh my God. So you, the, for, for like two years there were, they sold t-shirts and, um, and, and other clothing 
mostly t-shirts that, that were heat sensitive. And so like where your body was warm, it would turn orange and red and yellow and where it was cool, it would be blue and green. And it, I mean, there were so many things that were so funny about this. Number one, how popular they were immediately um, was hilarious. But number two, there was a very, very specific piece of, of um, care and upkeep related to the heat sensitive clothing. Do you remember what it was? No, you couldn't wash them. <laughs> you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't wash them in warm water because if you did, it basically ruined whatever the gel stuff was in the t-shirt and would permanently, it would like the hot water would permanently make it frozen in the heat uh, end of the spectrum. And so, so many kids got these t-shirts for their birthdays or for their for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever and like wore them and everyone's like that's so cool look at that so awesome and then one week later we're like yeah my mom washed it and now, <laughs> now it's ruined <laughs> and and i wanted it more than anything when i saw them when they first showed up in my whatever elementary school or middle school i don't remember i was like oh my god that's the coolest thing i've ever seen i have to have that and then like two weeks later everyone was like these stuff these things suck <laughs> my mom washing it ruined i was like okay i don't need them anymore <laughs> it's such a funny thing it's such an amazing brilliant like wonderful uh uh detail of like a moment in time was like there's i'm going to give children some clothing that's really cool and super like science fiction-y and stuff there's just one tiny little problem with it. This probably won't matter, but just uh, there's one little issue with it, which is you can't put it in the washing machine and then it all immediately was ruined and it all went away. It's amazing that it got as far as it did. Just amazing that it, it, uh, it, it became such a sensation and then, and then really did just disappear, just completely disappear. Uh, the other ones I had on my list very quickly, uh, I had, of course, the Sony Watchman. Remember the Sony Watchman? Of course, the yeah. Little television. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got one of those later when when they stopped. When basically everybody realized it was complete waste of time to have a two inch television. Um, I got one of those. Uh, the Clapper was big when I was young. Of course. I don't know anybody that owned the Clapper, but that commercial was on so much that it just became a huge thing. Uh, the electronic electric Lego set. You probably don't remember that. That's probably predates you. Um, yeah, I don't that was that. huge. They figured out a way where you could actually build like Lego cars or something that could move. You had just had to do various um, various mechanical things. I was dying for one. I never got one of those. And then finally, uh, and this is purely uh, old. But it was it was probably the gadget I most wanted when I was young. I I had a paper route uh, starting when I was like eight years old, and uh, I desperately wanted one of those change machines that you put on your belt. Oh you know, yeah, those yeah, yeah. Like, like those, things. those things were so awesome. I just thought those were the just go out there, just get a couple quarters and a nickel, and boom, boom, boom. I just I thought those things were the greatest things in the world. Uh, again, didn't get one, but big gadget when I was a kid. Yeah. I had calculator watch. I had boom box on my uh, list. Very big. Um, Very also big. light bright. I loved light bright when I was a kid. Light bright was, light bright was light super bright cool. Yeah. I loved it. Um, Do you have Simon the game. What about Simon? Simon? Of course I've had Simon. My kids have Simon. That's another one that kind of, that kind of stood the test of time a little bit. Like they still sell There's, Simon. Like it, it's still out there. Simon. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Let's go to one last meaningless thing. Then this meaningless thing. It's one. Meaningless thing. 
talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael or Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe—it's one last Uh, my last meaningless thing is very simple. I'm, I'm not, there's nothing to point in. I was at a hotel a couple of days ago and it had one of those sliding doors that if you slide it like all the way to the, you know, like when you're trying to close it, you can like pull it and have it close. And those last, I don't know, it has some sort of hinge on it where like those last eight or 10 inches, it slows down and then like closes itself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a sort yeah. of like automatic, like it it slows down and then moves the last couple inches. Uh, right, right. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and kind of locks itself. That's the greatest. I'm I who I am giving so much applause to the person who invented that. That brought me so much joy in a otherwise pointless hotel room uh, experience. I opened and shut that thing like five times. I thought that was the greatest <laughs> thing. In the world. That's it. All right. That's all. Um, my one last meaningless thing is uh, my credit card number was stolen a couple of days ago. Oh, Happens all the time, right? Whatever. Sure. It's you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, right. But um, the uh, the way I found out was I have a very good credit card fraud alert uh, system on the sure. card I use, and they immediately within literally within um, you know sixty seconds of the charge uh, appearing, I got a fraud alert, which happens you know once a year. And oh, I, yeah. I went and looked at the, my at the website and um, <laughs> the thing that the person uh, had had purchased or attempted to purchase my card was seven hundred and fifty dollars at El Pollo Loco. <laughs> seven hundred and fifty dollars of chicken at El Pollo Loco. And I was delighted. I, I mean, what? What it's usually almost always like gas cards, right? Or like sure, or right. like a Virgin Mobile mega store or like a right, you know right. a ATT, whatever. Seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of chicken at El Pollo Loco. I I wasn't even angry. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I I applaud you, sir or madam. But like get that get chicken, get delicious uh, fast food chicken, give it to everyone you know. Have a have a feast on me and my credit card company because I love I when I'm a vegetarian now, but I used to love El Pollo Loco and nothing sure. sounded better to me in that moment than seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of El Pollo Loco. So I what have you thought about what the story is behind that? What could the story be? Well, I don't know. The only thing that bothered me was I wanted them to be a little smarter about it, right? I wanted them to be like, I'm gonna get like forty dollars worth of El Pollo Loco <laughs> and then I'll come back tomorrow and get like $68 worth of El Pollo Loco or whatever. But it, I mean, every, my, again, my fraud alert on my card is excellent, but every fraud alert on every card is going to automatically register potential fraud if you try to order $750 of chicken from El Pollo Loco. I'm just, I just want to know. I want to know what, like, did this person, like, like, was it, were they like going, you know, I'm throwing a sweet 16 birthday party for my daughter and, I'm I'm gonna get that El Pollo chicken, and I'm gonna. I mean, I don't like. I don't know what are you, are they hoping to resell El Pollo chicken? I, I think don't know what. Pro- it's probably the case. To be fair, that what they did as order is by gift cards. I'm guessing that El Pollo uh, has gift cards, but I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that they just put in one seven hundred and fifty dollar 
order of of everything like everything that El Pollo Loco had on their shelves at the time. Um, so, it, but it's probably ultimately gift cards because that's almost always when your credit card number is yeah. going. Always, it's not. Card. It's not nearly as romantic. As not as fun. It's, it's not as romantic. It's not as evocative. No, I want to think about them going in and going. All right, no, wait a minute. No, let me think about this. You know, how much is that? You know, I'm up up to three forty five. Yeah, no, no, I got to keep going. Okay, out, and I'll know? get you know four sides of coleslaw. Good, and then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. We made it through another one. So uh, we will tweet out uh, information when we're in Chicago. Hopefully, you'll be able to come and see us if uh, if you would like. And uh, Mike, as always, thank you. Thank you for having me.